Welcome to the Olive Podcast Health and Wellness Series. I'm Janine, Olive's Deputy Editor and Podcast Host, and for the next few weeks I'll be catching up with experts in the field to get some great insight, advice and inspiration. From wellness trends to special diets and how to get your 30 plants a week, we'll be covering a diverse range of subjects. Listen out for new episodes each Friday. I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Uma Naidu to the podcast. Dr. Uma is a best-selling author, chef, and nutritional psychiatrist. Her new book, Calm Your Mind with Food, aims to give readers the tools to manage anxiety using a food-based approach, and it's packed with case studies and science, as well as lots of practical advice and lovely recipes. Welcome, Dr. Uma, and congratulations on your book. Thanks so much, Janine. I'm so excited to chat with you. First of all, could you tell us what the motivation was behind writing the book? So, you know, Janine, I I wrote a first book uh, several years ago, which was released at the start of the pandemic called The Food Mood Connection, also called uh, This Is Your Brain on Food, the same book, just US and UK versions. And it really resonated with people during the pandemic because it is based on the different mental health conditions and helping you choose foods that help you or can harm you, or worse than that condition. And after that was released, I continued my work in nutritional psychiatry, but my practice was then, my virtual practice, I should say, was really filled with anxiety. All ages, all demographics, everyone just felt as though they were experiencing anxiety. And then the data proved that because anxiety has increased by 25% since the pandemic, and it feels as though the world is suffering in a certain way. So I felt that this would be a go-to manual meant to be almost a workbook, something you can turn to, maybe you're waiting for a uh, an appointment with a GP or a therapist or a counselor or an online appointment, which are certainly hard to come by. You can actually use food in the meantime to start to feel better and you can the book is written in a way that you can read the food list the shopping lists try the recipes and follow the protocol so it's almost like you can do it a little bit on your own and i should just qualify if you're severely anxious and you really aren't able to function obviously you should see your doctor first but it doesn't mean food can't help you on your journey so i wanted to basically help the world move forward because anxiety is everywhere and people don't realize the power at the end of their fork and they can be trying some of this at home in an ongoing way what i'm really interested in as well is nutritional psychiatry because i've never heard of that before and i think you're one of the pioneers of it aren't you like when did you when did you sort of put that together in your practice thank you you know i think that the um, combination of understanding how powerful food was began very early in my training days when, you know, I understood through a difficult patient interaction where a patient was upset with me and, and thought that a week after I began an SSRI medication that I had caused him to gain weight. Of course, the data in front of me indicated otherwise. He had come to me overweight. It wasn't the medication. But he was also drinking a very large cup of Dunkin' Donuts coffee, a favorite in Boston, (laughs) a a 20-ounce cup, which is really huge. And uh, it distracted me for a second. And I I, I stopped and I said, look, I understand you want to speak about the weight, but can I just ask you, what did you put in your coffee today? And when I calculated that he had put more than a quarter cup of ultra-processed very sweetened creamer, and then added eight teaspoons of sugar, I was able to prove to him that before he'd even eaten breakfast, 
how many empty calories he was consuming. And I saw his eyes light up, Janine. You know, it was like a light bulb went off. And he wanted to know more and he wanted to do something different. He wanted to learn how he could help himself. And it taught me that when you are able to interpret information to someone, they can use it and they can understand that something they're doing is actually not helping them and they can tweak that habit. So I began to really ask more questions and follow that path. But then at the same time, the gut brain science was evolving. And then I had the opportunity to really dive deeper into this area uh, by forming a clinic at my hospital. Could you explain basically what anxiety is and, and kind of what's happening in our bodies when, when panic attacks happen, when anxiety attacks happen? Sure. So, you know, um, anxiety is a mental health condition defined by an excess of stress or worry that inhibits our daily activities. It can manifest physically uh, through increased heart rate, shortness of breath, sweating, lightheadedness, you know, being very fidgety, just not being able to settle down. And there is a textbook definition using the DSM-5-TR, which is in the United States, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual that we use to help diagnosis. But usually I like to explain these in terms of how people feel. Um, you know, someone can have an anxious stomach. They can have an anxious gut. Sometimes we call that butterflies in the stomach. Um, they may have a sudden onset, a sudden burst of extreme anxiety that comes out of nowhere, which we call a panic attack. So, you know, there are different ways in which it presents for people, but these are a lot of the more common um, symptoms of, of how anxiety shows up. And you mentioned the gut there, and I know that, you know, that's, it's the big focus of the book. The link between the brain and the gut seems to be the, the thing that you, that you concentrate on. Why is that so important? So in the first part of the book, uh, the sort of nerdy part of the book, Janine, that goes into the problem, <laughs> I cover the gut-brain connection as one of the mechanisms, inflammation, immunity, metabolism, certain hormones and things like that. But it certainly is one that I think makes it just more understandable to people. But I also wanted them to know that in anxiety, there are these other systems involved as well. But looking at the gut and brain, they these two organs originate from the exact same cells in the human embryo. And then they divide up uh, and form two different organs. And they remain connected by the 10th cranial nerve, which is the vagus nerve, which acts like a bi-directional messaging system between these two organ systems. And really what the organ systems are messaging about is um, you really chemical transmitters, so neurotransmitters. So they, they, they're messaging all the time. But then you think about it more deeply and you realize that 90 to 95% of the serotonin and the receptors for serotonin are in the gut. So where food is being digested, where you know the vagus nerve is allowing for this two-way communication, you also have the receptors. And so you start to put together that, you know, the trillions of microbes that are involved in helping us with digestion and other things in the body, many other functions, also really close to where the receptors and the formation of these neurotransmitters is happening. Now, it also happens elsewhere in the body, like the brain, but you, you understand that food is very powerful because it's interacting. If you're eating healthier foods, you are going to really fend off inflammation in the gut 
um, have the food be broken down by those microbes into short-chain fatty acids, which are really positive substances in the gut, and so on and so forth. But if you are really eating, say, at a fast food restaurant every single day and and lots of, you know, um, biscuits and ice cream and and, and chocolates and, and um, candy bars, <laughs> uh, you know, then, then it's a different it's a different scenario altogether. But but definitely the gut brain connection helps people to understand that food mood connection. And sometimes I'll just say what happens when you have a headache, you know, you have the perception of, of pain, some in your head. But what do you do? You don't take something and rub it on your head. You swallow usually a headache pill. And you drink some water and you hope the pain goes away. And 10 minutes, 15 minutes later, it usually hopefully does. But it's going through your digestive tract. And so it's a simple way to just explain to people that in a, in a more complicated way with many more biochemical reactions, food does a similar thing. Can we talk about some of the bigger food groups? Because I know that, you, for example, you're a big fan of fiber, dietary fiber, and you say in the book, fiber is your friend. Can we speak a bit about that and what, what it does and, and how we can you know, bring it into our diet a bit more? It definitely is an important nutrient that many of us overlook or don't get enough of. We often don't get enough of it because we're focusing on other food groups like protein. And protein is certainly important. But fiber is also important because those gut microbes, the trillions of microbes that live in the gut, they actually are nurtured and fed by fiber. So by taking care of them, they can function at their peak and they can really help us fend off inflammation, keep the balance of the gut microbiome good and in a positive way. So fiber is, is important for that reason. It also is important because in anxiety, the reason that fiber is your friend is a fiber-rich food. Take a, a jelly or cream donut for breakfast versus a healthier chia seed pudding. And the one food will digest very quickly, hit your bloodstream very fast, and you may be wanting to reach for a second donut very shortly thereafter. And the difference is that one has one food, the chia pudding has protein and fiber in it, and digests much more slowly. It, it, you know, you eat it over time, you take a few minutes to eat it, or, you know, you enjoy it, you savor it. And the breakdown of that is also slower. It doesn't really just, you know, kind of hit your bloodstream because of that sugar rush. It it breaks down slowly and keeps your metabolism, it keeps your blood sugar on an even keel. And you really, you feel satiated when you eat something like that. So it's it's super important to think about fiber as something that can help anxiety. It can help the gut. Um, but because those foods are digested more slowly, um, they also just help us not feel like we're on a on some kind of a joyride with, with sugar and these ups and downs and sugar crashes that people experience and then energy crashes that follow and that type of thing. That's really interesting that there's that link between we're always told about, you know, to try and avoid those those big spikes and crashes. So give it eating food that gives us the the slow release energy is better. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. 
Shop Blinds.com now and save 40% site-wide. 40% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Another group you talk about is carbs because you say often they get lumped into one kind of carbs are bad group. I mean, we hear that a lot in nutrition anyway, you know, or, or anyway in diets, you know, avoiding carbs. But we need good quality carbs, don't we? I mean, we need carbs anyway. We we definitely do. And I think the misconception is that people just think, well, when you, people think of carbs as sliced white bread or pasta or potatoes. And yes, those, those foods do have, uh, do have carbs. But the issue is that we, our body needs carbohydrates. We not only need them, we want to have them so that we have a more complete diet. And it, we just have to be careful about the source of those carbohydrates. So I think that a cruciferous vegetable is very different from just a bowl of pasta. So I think that it's where we obtain them and how we obtain them, how we prepare them, and the fact that we still include them in our diet and we're more, more careful about. Um, here's another example. Um, there's no harm in having a baked potato, but there are little tips and tricks that science has taught us. If you bake your baked potatoes ahead, allow them to cool. It allows for a special process in that potato called a starch retrogradation, which actually lowers the glycemic index. So no one's saying don't have a baked potato. Just think about that extra step if you can, because it will help you then reheat it and make it really yummy with the stuff you like and enjoy it. You know, there's a similar principle for other things like even pasta. So I'm not saying take them out entirely. Just be wise about where you eat them. And when you think about things like whole grains, yes, you can have slices of white bread but or, or any color bread, whole wheat for that matter, but those are highly processed. It's very different if you have a little serving of quinoa on your plate or, you know, uh, brown rice or something like that. And there's no harm in doing that. I just don't want your whole plate to be filled with it. I want really your plate to have a large amount of those different colored vegetables and greens and salads and then, you know, clean protein of your choice, a healthy fat and then some grains. But it's it's really the combination of how you put it together together. Uh, Exactly. That becomes important, the portion and the quality of those carbs. Yeah, because it was an interesting story you were saying in some diets that are, um, I think you're talking about blue zone diets and it was somewhere in Japan where, you know, rice is the cornerstone of the cuisine. But the people there are not just eating rice. They'll eat like a portion of rice, but then they'll have pickles and they'll have vegetables and they'll have like some fish and they'll have some lean you know, meat. So it's the combination of things that brings the the good stuff. That's correct. It's the combination. You know, they have some fermented food there. They have uh, healthy seafood that is often fresh caught, uh, rich in omega threes, great for your brain, great for anxiety. But also, they're active. You know, they're not just eating the meal and going to bed. They they're active and they they lead. You know, they lead an outdoor. They spend time outdoors. They spend time in fresh air. They are exercising simply by maybe they're just walking. Um, but they the, all of that counts towards our overall um, sort of metabolism and our overall health. There's a whole chapter on micronutrients, and I know we can't go through them all, but could you maybe touch on a couple of um, vitamins? that a deficiency of can cause problems? Yes. Um, so, you know, I think 
one of the things we uh, we want to acknowledge is that the World Health Organization has really told us that iron deficiency anemia is the most common nutritional deficiency in the world. And so, you know, paying attention to that, especially for women and children, is really important. So you might get iron from different types of meats and proteins. You can also get iron from plant-based sources like extra dark natural chocolate, which is a great source of plant-based, the highest source of plant-based iron. And you just need a little bit of vitamin C to help that. So always say, have a piece of extra dark chocolate, but have it with a piece of clementine or orange or something like that as as a neat trick. So iron is one we need to pay attention to. You can also get iron from certain vegetables as well. Um, Another one that people could be deficient in is vitamin D. Low vitamin D is associated with, you know, anxiety as well as depression. So, you know, making sure that that's part of your diet becomes important. The third one I always mention is magnesium because magnesium is associated with, you know, things like conditions like anxiety, low magnesium. So these are foods which, uh, you know, which our, uh, our body needs these vitamins and minerals and micronutrients as a group. And so we want to be paying attention to them. There's a lot of talk around kind of supplements now as well. I, I, things like ashwagandha, um, and where do you where, where do you fall on those? Are you are you a fan of the sort of natural supplements? I I am a fan. Um, I I feel that none of us eats a perfect diet, um, and so supplements actually do fill a nutritional gap, which is really important. Now, when it comes to anxiety, there's actually a good amount of uh, helpful information about ashwagandha, which was actually used for centuries in things like Ayurvedic medicine. But ashwagandha is very bitter tasting. And so a clean supplement form is is pretty good for anxiety, but just speak to your GP about that before embarking on any big changes you make. But I would I would think that someone can definitely use that. There are other supplements if someone is deficient in vitamin D, you know, a vitamin D supplement, just have a test done, just don't guess about these things. And it could be something, magnesium is another one. So, you know, involve your your GP, your doctor in this conversation so that you can get the right supplements that you need. But also remember, you can get many, you can get any or all of these from food. You know, ashwagandha is not something you generally eat because no. it's so bitter. So that's a, that's a supplement. Yeah. But um, saffron is actually another great supplement. And, and here, the reason it's a good supplement is two reasons. One, it's delicious um, to cook with. We don't use a lot of saffron when we cook. It's also very expensive. And the trials using saffron used supplements with much higher doses. So it makes sense to try a, su- a supplement for saffron as well. So. That's another one. So could we go through maybe a few specific foods known to reduce anxiety and then maybe a few foods to avoid like real red flag foods that might trigger it? Yes, I think that's a great idea. So let's start off with the foods to to be cautious about because many people think of these foods as foods that are associated with weight and weight gain, um, but they in fact have significant impacts on the brain, the gut, um, and even our mental health. So, you know, we want to think, uh, start off with those, that big group of ultra-processed, processed foods, junk foods, and fast foods, because they have so many uh, manufactured ingredients in them that we know are just not good for the gut, 
not good for gut health, that lead to inflammation, um, that do, you know, so many unhealthy things to our bodies. So that's one big group. Another one is the added and refined sugars. So uh, we're not talking about, uh, you know, a serving of berries, which also has natural sugar, but we're talking about the, you know, the, the biscuits, the cookies, the donuts, the candies, the extra and added sugars and foods. Um, and then another group is artificial sweeteners. Uh, some of the artificial sweeteners and things like diet drinks can be quite problematic for the gut and even worsen anxiety. Another big group is the unhealthy fats like trans fats and hydrogenated fats that you will often find on, say, a cake that you buy that, you know, will last a week or a few weeks because it's shelf-stable. So it's engineered to be shelf-stable, but it often has um, unhealthy ingredients in it, including sometimes these unhealthy fats. So let's let's be cautious about these foods and try to, you know, swap them out, replace them with healthier versions, eat less of them um, uh, over time. This is a marathon and not a sprint. So, you know, we, we can't go from today yeah. <laughs> and, and change everything in a day. And um, the foods that you want to think about are some some foods, and there are hundreds of foods in the book, but some that you want to think about are foods that are rich in choline. Um, that can be found in pastured eggs or even legumes and lentils, vitamin C-rich foods, as I mentioned, and extra dark natural chocolate is, is one way to go. So I have a mnemonic CALM, C-A-L-M-S, and the C is for the extra dark chocolate, the choline, and the vitamin C. The A is for ashwagandha and antioxidants. So we talked about ashwagandha and antioxidants. Really, eating a colorful array of fruit and vegetables uh, will give you those rich antioxidants. Different types of teas have antioxidants, like green tea is rich in, in two very powerful antioxidants. So try to remember those. L is liquids. So I want people to remember to sip on water or calming teas, because if you are dehydrated, you can you can appear anxious or you can sometimes even have a panic attack. So just remaining hydrated during the day is hugely important. You know, be sipping on some water um, and make sure that you have um, enough enough for your body. Um, M is for magnesium, which we talked about, but also more omega-3. So omega-3s from those fatty fish like salmon, uh, but also plant-based sources like chia seeds and flax seeds. And S is for spices and herbs, because spices and herbs are often overlooked in the kitchen pantry or, you know, kitchen pharmacy, because they have very powerful um, powerful benefits that that are often overlooked. And simply by flavoring your foods, you're going to be adding so many rich nutrients as well. That's a great shout. Um, I just wanted to finish by talking a bit about your recipes because you are a um, trained chef and the recipes are lovely. And I've been, I've been flicking through things that caught my eye. Dr. Uma's crunchy kaleidoscope salad. So that's 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 our eating eating the rainbow salad, I think. And then you've also got these fascinating. Um, you're calling them Mediterranean, which I love because I think you, you said in the book, which is really interesting, is that you know everyone talks about how great the Mediterranean diet is, but if you're from South Asia, that's not your vibe. You know, that's not the way you eat. So you have different versions. Of yeah, it, right? exactly. So you so, have to adapt it. You have to adapt it to the way that you you want to eat and the way that you're comfortable eating as well. So I think that's that's a lovely idea. I mean, how did you approach like writing the recipes for the book? 
So I really thought about what I was most enjoying eating um, and what I was experimenting with in my own kitchen. And what I was experimenting with was this concept of the Mediterranean diet has so much excellent, well-validated evidence behind it. But at the same time, I want everyone to be able to have a version of it. And, and early on in my career, a medical student at Harvard said to me, you know, um, all of you doctors uh, talk about the Mediterranean diet, but not all cultures eat the same food. And it really pointed out such a gap in, in our thinking. And it, it's always stuck with me. And I felt whenever I talk about it, I try to include as many foods from different. Someone in China might eat black beans. Someone in the Mediterranean would eat chickpeas. So trying to be offer people alternatives. So I took that concept and then I looked at the spices, what I was cooking in my kitchen. I was experimenting a lot with delicious Korean spices and, you know, fresh pickles. And But I also wanted to have people have a healthy recipe for, you know, Thanksgiving, so a healthy-ish mac and cheese. Um, so different things that I was trying out in my own kitchen that I wanted to share with people because I feel that, you know, um, Cooking can be enjoyable. It can be something easy and enjoyable for us to do. And so if we included that a little bit in what, what we're doing in the rest of our busy lives, I wanted to make it as easy as possible for people. I love that. And actually, other cultures are a rich source of of, of great health-giving foods, aren't they, as well? You know, things... They, they are. I mean, if we, if we just embrace, you know including so many other cultures and spices and flavors. And I think uh, the UK, specifically London, has some of the best, you know, South Asian or Indian food. Um, so I think that the more times that we embrace things, we can actually get, you know, not every single food that any one of us makes is healthy, but we can find the healthy spices. We can understand the great ways that uh, that yogurt is served, rich in probiotics, but different ways to eat it. You know, in Indian cuisine, we eat a savory version of yogurt. Um, so it's, it's you know, just it's just a way to kind of meld our ideas and honestly make our food more interesting. Because one of the concepts, I, one of the myths I really want to get rid of is that healthy food can't taste good. Because I just simply don't agree with that. And that's why the recipes are created to be flavorful, but also healthy. Yeah, that's brilliant. I think that's a great one to end on. Um, so the book's called um, Calm Your Mind with Food from Dr. Uma Naidu, A Revolutionary Guide to Controlling Your Anxiety. And it's out now if anybody wants to grab it. And I think you've got a, you've got a, a website, don't you, that people can go to? Yes, uh, my website is umanaidumd.com where you can sign up for my weekly newsletter because every week I discuss a new food, uh, how, where to buy it, you know, how to prepare it and just some important facts about it so that you kind of expand your repertoire of foods. Uh, you can also follow me on uh, social media at D-R-U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O and, uh, you know, please check out my book. I would I would love your support. I'd love your feedback. Send me messages on uh, social media. If you're reading it, send me pictures. Uh, <laughs> we love to interact with people around it. Brilliant. Oh, thanks again for coming to chat to us today. Thank you. It's great to talk to you, Janine. Thank you for listening to the Olive Podcast. For recipes and more information, head to olivemagazine.com. Do remember to listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where our guests reveal their best cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. And don't forget to subscribe at iTunes, Acast, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.